This is Franchise Today, brought to you by FRM Solutions, providers of the best-in-class software solutions for franchise relationship management. Franchise Today is your destination for weekly information, conversations, and interviews with accomplished industry leaders, all of whom share best practices for sustainable growth and sensible franchising. Here now, your host, Stan Friedman, to kick off this week's podcast. And I'm coming to you today from Atlanta, Georgia, and this is Franchise Today for Wednesday, January 29th. And IFA 2020 is knocking at our door. We're less than two weeks out and closing rapidly. And I hope you're in better shape in terms of preparation than I am, as it's almost time to get to Orlando. This looks to be a fantastic event this year, and it's on track to exceed over 4,000 in attendance. In today's front of the house, I have some other fun facts and stats that are based on last year's IFA convention attendee data. Last year, in attendance, 27% of those attending the convention came from the C-suite. 20% came from the franchise development vertical, 19% from ops and franchise relations, and marketing and technology brought up the rear. With 8% last year, I will bet that percentage is even higher this year, as I believe it is each and every year for the last many. Franchisors in attendance, segmented by industry, look like this. 51% came from the service sector, which included lodging, 28% from food, and 21% came from retail. As for system size, 58% were emerging brands with as few as no units operating, to 42% being from a established brands with at least 100 or more units in operation. This year's educational programming has tracks for one and all across each of the sectors I've just described, as well as for franchisees and even suppliers. Please stop by and pay us a visit at Booth 911. We'll be happy to see you. And now for this week's franchise birthdays. Many happy returns to David Leonardo, Richard Jensward, Abayadi Alawali, Michael Masetic, Terry Corkery, Phil Ryan, Bernadette Bowes, David McKelvin, Travis Cook, Eric Zimmerman, Sean Spencer, Xavier Springfield, Denise Gervais, Jim Caval, Kirk Moriello, and Lisa Gustafson. Hope I didn't miss anybody. Happy birthday to you, one and all. Let's take a quick break here, and we'll be right back with today's guests. Franchise Today will be right back, but first, a word from our sponsors. Hey, Stan Friedman here with a word about Transitive an amazing marketing platform that actually delivers what others can only imagine. Accurate, dependable results that are second to none. All right, without getting too deep into the weeds, Transitive connects franchisees' customer data from all sources, providing high-octane fuel for their marketing engines. They then deploy machine learning. Yes, artificial intelligence, which identifies various customer traits and habits, attributes that would otherwise likely go unnoticed, and it segments these customers into groups. This is important because as we know, not all customers provide your franchisees with equal dollar value, but wouldn't it be great if they could easily identify who's who? Well, that's exactly what Transitive does. And what's more, it then accurately drives the appropriate offers to each of those customer groups, delivering specific personalized messages to each of the group's customers. Just like that, your franchisees are engaged in laser-focused target marketing, delivering them much more bang for the buck. You've got to see it to believe it. So what are you waiting for? Order up a demo today and tell them I sent you. Find them online at www.transitive.io. That's www.transitive.io. 
Soccer Shots founding partners Jeremy Sorzano and Jason Webb were soccer teammates both in college and professionally. They formed Soccer Shots in 1997 after recognizing a lack of quality soccer programs for children under eight. In addition to their deep love of the game, they also shared an entrepreneurial spirit and a passion to inspire children to live fit and healthy lives. The success of Soccer Shots in Charlotte, North Carolina and Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, where Jeremy and Jason first launched their business businesses led to several of their friends and former teammates wanting to get involved. In 2005, Soccer Shots began franchising and opened its first four franchises in Ohio, Delaware, Florida, and Pennsylvania. The business opportunity began to attract more soccer entrepreneurs, and Soccer Shots has enjoyed wildly successful growth in North America ever since. In May of 2009, Justin Bredeman, another former college soccer teammate, became the third Soccer Shots partner. Justin brought with him eight years of experience from Auntie Anne's, where he led a team that supported nearly 800 franchise units. His deep understanding of the franchise business model also came from the knowledge gained from his five years of actually owning and operating a soccer shots business of his own. Today, there have been more than 440,000 children enrolled across over 200 territories. From its humble beginnings, Soccer Shots has grown beyond Jeremy and Jason's dreams, with over 200 territories across 37 states and Canada. Jason, Jeremy, welcome to Franchise Today. Great. Thank you, Stan. It's really a pleasure to have you guys on. I've studied your business from afar for years. Doing some consulting became aware of Soccer Shots. And it's great when you see a franchise that can not only deliver unit-level economics, but the power of the enrichment that it can provide to the kids that you serve and to those families. So to me, franchises that take care of elderly people and franchises that take care of kids are the two kinds of favorite business models in the franchise world that I love seeing success in. We usually start with the story about how franchising found you, but we've kind of covered that off in the introduction. What I am curious about is your backgrounds clearly explain why you got into the soccer business, but from operating a couple of locations to beginning the idea of franchising any of those locations has a little bit of a story that I'd like the backstory on. So what made franchising appeal to you as the way to go for further growing your business and scaling it? Well, first of all, and this is Jason, thank you, Stan, for having us on your podcast. It's our pleasure to participate here this afternoon with you, and um, I I can resonate with uh, your comments and thoughts on our business model that we get to serve a purpose that we're really passionate about and grow a successful business. And so I think, yeah, we're we're coming up really on 20 years of doing this business, 15 years in franchising, and the opportunity to serve communities and impact children positively through soccer, a game that we just really enjoy, has been nothing short of, of just really a privilege. And so, yeah, our backgrounds, I mean, quick story on that. Jeremy and I were college soccer teammates. We were also teammates with Justin Bredeman, who has now become our third partner. But after college, Jeremy and I continued to play soccer together in Charlotte, North Carolina for a team called the Charlotte Eagles, part of the USL Pro Soccer Division. You know, spent a lot of time when not playing, coaching, doing camps, clinics, working with club teams, high school teams, really kind of anybody that might want to pay extra for some soccer coaching, we would jump on those opportunities. That led us into what is now the Soccer Shots concept, where we were invited to work with some local child care centers. Uh, this was Jeremy in particular in the late 90s and discovered that there was really a, a niche and opportunity to work with the youngest age set. Nobody was really doing that or doing it in any kind of professional manner. And so his idea took off in Charlotte. 
I later moved up to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania to play for a team up here, started the same thing up here. And for several years, we both grew independent of each other, soccer programs for children, just two, three, four, and five years old. And it was really a few years after that, we just kept building and growing programs. We had no intention to start franchising company. We didn't know anything about franchising. And yet apparently there was demand for this type of opportunity and really the service in other cities. And so what happened was people who knew us, who saw what we were doing, observed its success, came to us and said, is this something that we could bring to our cities? And if so, would you franchise it? And so that was 2005. We found some some help. So, you know, franchise attorney got ourselves up and ready to franchise, sold those first four franchises that you mentioned in your introduction. That was 2005. We were a franchising company. So how did you go about learning all the things that were going to be a part and parcel of becoming a franchisor? Obviously, the legal piece, very quickly, everybody finds out that you have to have a disclosure document. But with all the perils and pitfalls of not doing it correctly, unless you're guided and schooled, how did you go about that? That's a great question, Stan. This is Jeremy. You know, and, and maybe just one further comment. When we got into franchising, it was actually uh, the group out of Cleveland, Ohio, uh, who was a college teammate. Chris Zerke actually called up Jason and said, hey, do you guys want to franchise this? And I'll buy the first franchise, you know. And so that's maybe how ignorant we were about what we were getting into because <laughs> Jason called me and we're like, sure, that sounds fun. Yeah. And fortunately, you know, Justin, who was our third partner, had been at Andy and, you know, I think pretty early on we called him and we're like, hey, you know, uh, we got somebody who wants a franchise. We think this is good. I mean, we had talked to him just as a friend, so he knew what we were doing, you know, even locally in our own businesses. And so I think he probably gave us the initial like, well, hey, you need to get an FDD. <laughs> you know, you need a franchise disclosure document, find a lawyer. Jason found a local lawyer there in Harrisburg. And, you know, I think as you go through the FDD, of course, they're like, well, how's your operations manual? Oh, operations manual. What's that? You know, and so, uh, you know, it'd probably be funny now if we looked back on that operations manual, <laughs> uh, because it was probably about 10 pages long, but certainly we, we kind of put that stuff together. And that initial law firm was very helpful. To be honest, though, I think Jason would agree with this. Probably the best thing we had was four friends that bought franchises that first year who, more than being franchisees, were, were good friends of ours who were willing to help us navigate what it looked like to be a good franchisor and start building a good system. So, you know, I think we're forever in their debt for taking a chance on us when we, we really didn't know a whole lot about what we were doing. But certainly, you know, we had a curriculum we were using locally. We had developed some marketing materials. So a lot of the stuff that you need, we had been developing that we were able to share right away. But certainly in terms of what does it mean to be a good franchisor? We were we were wet behind the ears. And it's typically the case where emerging franchisors learn either through proper guidance early on, or they learn with a little bit more bruised knees and scraped noses, you know, a year or two later that operating a business at, at the single unit level or growing it professionally is a completely different skill set. It's, it's always expensive to begin franchising. It can be a lot more expensive if you don't begin it with the kind of guidance that you had the good fortune to be a part of and to have somebody close to you who not only knew soccer, but new franchising as well. I want to talk a minute or two about the consumer side of the business and the attraction to parents. And then we'll move into the franchise and the opportunities that you provide on that side of life. But let's spend a minute or two on the consumer side. There are so many programs out there today that involve kids for either sports or arts or education. And moms have lots of decisions to make. And my presumption is that mom is the driver of where the children go for which kinds of programs and how are their childhood after curriculum activities going to be managed. So is it a bad presumption on my part or is it correct that soccer mom is your primary target? Yeah, I think you're right, Stan. I think our data 
the data we've looked at would suggest that moms more than dads are are the deciders in, in these types of decisions for their young children, but it's not always the case, of course. And I would say you're also right that it, it does seem now like there are you know oodles of opportunities for programs for even children as young as age two to get involved with. I would say that was not so much the case 20 years ago. I mean, it certainly existed. They're, they're really before us. There was you know years and years in history with music and, and dance, especially for little girls. Gymnastics has always been a big thing. Karate's probably always been a big thing. But at the time that we started our concept, there wasn't really anybody else doing soccer. Certainly nobody doing it on a national scale or any any real professionalized or monetized manner. And there was not as much direct enrichment programming or third party enrichment programming introduced into the childcare space or childcare centers. And so I, I think those were those two things kind of worked in our favor. You know, we were one of the first to kind of bring programming like this directly into the child care center space. And there weren't a lot of other great options that, and, and I, I say this truly, we do appeal to girls and boys both, but specifically for boys, there, was, there weren't nearly as many options that would appeal to boys. As I mentioned, dance always existed, but their numbers really skew gir- little girl. And so soccer shots was quite a hit right away. Who was the master of the curriculum? How did you guys determine how this blend of life lessons for kids, but also the disciplines of soccer or just the game itself and then the flavor that you have sprinkled on it above and beyond just the concept of playing the game but enriching the lives of young children through the game where did that well, i'm gonna come jump from? yeah i'm gonna jump right in front of jeremy here because i know he's probably gonna try to deflect this but i'm gonna answer <laughs> and say it is jeremy Absolutely. And I'd maybe love to hear Jeremy talk about where that comes from within him and why he loves children, loves impacting people positively. But I'd say he's certainly the, the source of that. Jeremy? <laughs> well, thanks, Jason. That's kind of you. Yes, Dan, you know, I think it's a combination of things. Certainly in my own life, and I think anyone that has played sports and I think had good coaches <laughs> can point to the impact a great coach has had on their life. So I started playing soccer when I was five, and I could tell you the coaches that I think did an awesome job not only helping me fall in love with the game, but gave me confidence, taught me teamwork, taught me respect, really impacted me, which for most of us isn't going to lead to some kind of professional career. What's it going to lead to is, right, how does how does what I've learned on the field translate into how I live my life and interact with everyone around me at school and at work? And so, yeah, I don't know. I think certainly that impact, yeah, I, you know, through my career, I, I think I've known and when it comes to work with young kids, I think the opportunity to give them a, an amazing experience out of the gate, not only on the soccer field where they want to keep playing and have a great time and put a smile on their face, but maybe to start even at a young age to start sprinkling in concepts of character words or ideas that can help them translate into their life. I don't know. I just think it's a pretty cool opportunity. Maybe it's because of the great impact coaches have had on me that's always been kind of the way I've been wired. Certainly, though, when you talk about soccer shots and over the history, it's like from the beginning, we kind of always had that concept. But even through the first five years, I think as we brought franchise owners on who were equally passionate about that, I think it was a concerted effort to say, hey, how can we keep improving the curriculum together? And oh, how can we refine the character words? How can we make sure that we're using them every day and every lesson? And so it kind of points to you have a great system of not only a great franchisor, but you have an amazing group of franchisees who are really working together kind of that iron sharpens iron concept where yeah that has definitely enhanced our curriculum over the 
over the years, but specifically to how we're using character development and making sure we're using that to, to impact kids. So, and to this day, I don't think there's any better story than we get an email from a parent that's like, hey, you know, Susie or Billy came home today and they, they talked about respect, what they learned about that means at soccer shots. You're kind of like, awesome. They're kind of taking what they learned on the field and applying it to, to their life. So with this vision statement that says to provide a beloved growth experience for every child, a remarkable experience for every family, you've adopted something called the three C's. Which one of you guys wants to jump in and explain that? Sure. Yeah, thanks. Those three C's refer to coaches, curriculum, and communication. And we would say they are pillars from which much or most of what we do flows. It, it helps us maybe stay focused and prioritized on what matters most. And so, I mean, maybe self-explanatory, but quickly on each of them, we, we want our coaches to be the best in the industry. And that requires of us to train them to, to be that, to, to certify them as um, soccer shots coaches. It, has less to do with how credible they are or licensed they are as, as soccer coaches and teachers, but more about do they understand what's developmentally appropriate for children of this age? Do they know how to manage a group well, manage behavior well? Are they kind of lights out, enthusiastic, and can they translate concepts like respect and sportsmanship and teamwork that we're talking about into the kind of the purview of a three, four, five-year-old, right? And so at the end of the day, if our coaches aren't unbelievable, I don't know really what, what we have as a program. I would say that's coupled with our curriculum. And so Jeremy maybe was the original author of the, the first edition curriculum. It's gone through multiple iterations. We've had, you know, franchisees participate, you know, on curriculum committees and really refine and improve that. Probably though in the last five to seven years, we've looked outside of our own organization to find industry experts, PhDs in early childhood education, medical experts, you know, to really ensure that our curriculum is world-class and is in every which way, you know, developmentally appropriate, you know, with safety consciousness being number one. And so we've done that. And we've aligned our curriculum to the early learning standards across all 37 states that we're working in. And so th therein lies the beauty of, I think, a great curriculum without a great coach is incomplete. Maybe I'd even say a great coach without great curriculum is incomplete. But when you can marry the two together and have an unbelievable coach who is able to deliver this expert approved and written curriculum, there's maybe the magic in the bottle, so to speak, or lightning in the bottle. And then I think there's an opportunity for us to communicate as well or better than anybody else. And so I think, you know, one of the things that parents of young children want to know is how, how did my kid do today? Did they have a great day at school? Did they even do soccer shots today? Or did they learn to tie their shoes today or whatever it is? And so we just recognize that parents crave to know what their most precious asset in their world and life is. Their child is like, what's my child getting to do? And are they having a great time? And so for us to, to you know, continuing to learn, how do we communicate best with young, you know, parents of young children and explain to them how their children are doing and what that experience their child had was really like. We're going to come back from the break and dive into the franchise. But before we even do the franchise side of the business, on the other side of the break, I want to talk about where you were at what time in your four years of growth, did you come to the realization that you wanted to bring professional management on the franchise side into the business? And we'll talk a little bit about how that looked to you and then what it is you look for in those that come to you with interest in the franchise, what they need to bring and what you give them in return. We'll do all of that on the other side of a very quick break. This portion of Franchise Today is brought to you by Zoracle, providers of spot-on profiles, the gold standard of assessment tools that assure you're selecting the right franchisees every time. 
Unlike DISC or others that simply gauge personality or communication styles, Zoracle's spot-on assessments are all franchise-specific and based upon seven sciences that nail the results each and every time. Your prospects simply answer a few questions online, and like magic, Zoracle's algorithms scientifically slice, dice, and analyze their thresholds for risk, their business acumen, and even their propensity for single or multi-unit ownership. Zoracle's spot-on analysis is like having a crystal ball, but there's no hoodoo here. It's all based upon science that flawlessly determines franchisee, franchisor compatibility, and accurately predicts performance. Why don't you schedule a demo today and take a complimentary look and see for yourself. It's the closest thing to a sure thing. Zoracle, spot on assessments, based on science, but delivering results that seem simply magical. Check them out at www.zoracleprofiles.com. So one of the things that really caught my eye about your business model, gentlemen, is that you were on the path to success. You were growing your business. You were four years in and having some level of success already. But there was a light bulb that must have somehow gone off that said having the friend that you had that knew more about franchising when you began was kind of casual. At some point, you decided that Justin's expertise and insights might be worthy of a deeper dive into the business on a full-time basis. So first question is, what made that conversation or who started that conversation? When did you come to that epiphany that you were going to bring in more help? And then we'll come back with how it wound up being Justin who helped you, in fact, from day one anyway. Sure, Stan, this is Jeremy. I'll, I'll tackle that one. You know, I think, you know, when Jason and I started franchising, certainly we talked earlier about how, yeah, we, we certainly didn't really know what we were getting ourselves into. You know, Justin actually purchased franchise number four. We, I had mentioned how we had even talked to him when we were beginning to franchise. For, throughout the first four years, we were probably talking to Justin every other month, not only about his local franchise, but also just telling him what was going on with the business and how we were doing. Up until 2009, you know, Jason and I were working from our kitchen tables <laughs> You know, Jason was shipping everything from his basement at his house. And I think we were just trying to validate the concept. Then we sold one. We were kind of like, fingers crossed, hope this works in this new city. And I think around 2009, maybe we, we were somewhere between 25 and 35 franchises. And probably just had a conversation. We're like, this is going to work. Hey, we need to make sure we are trying to stay ahead of the growth. And it was really an easy decision to bring Justin on because I think we'd even hired him along the way to do some consulting for us, go on some trips, see how our training pro- program process was looking and having him speak into that. And so, hey, Jason and I are teammates. We've, we've always played on teams. I think we've recognized throughout that, that's like hopefully have recognized our own limitations. And I think for us feeling like, oh, we can get a good friend who we work well with already, who was a college teammate, who we respect that has worked for a franchise system that even back then had a thousand plus units, was already international. They were Annie Ann's even back in 2009 was probably one of the more respected franchise systems around. And to feel like, oh, we can get that guy to come join our team and help us grow seemed like a pretty easy decision. So yeah, I think some, maybe we talked about it for six months or eight months, but I think eventually one of us just called Justin up and said, Hey, Justin, what do you think about joining the the ownership team here at Soccer Shots? And I'm pretty sure within two seconds, he said, I would love that. It was a kind of 
kind of a good marriage of his experience with his love for soccer, but even getting to join a couple friends, I think he would say was a bonus as well. A large part of our audience is comprised of emerging brands who are listening to you because they want to grab the gold ring on some of the do's and don'ts as they grow their businesses. What would you say about bringing in professional management and putting egos aside and taking a look at where the business is being served by two partners that are both passionate about soccer, but where else do your skills overlap or, or are they redundant and who does what and what it's like to bring somebody in from the outside, even though he's a longtime friend and a colleague and passionate as well about the game? It's still putting another slice into the pie. So for emerging franchisors or young franchisors, it is something we've done. So I think we would say from our experience, at least, it's been valuable. It was needed in order to take us, take soccer shots to the next level. I would say, and I'm trying to remember, you know, what it was really like back in 2009, but in some ways it didn't feel like as big of a risk as maybe it sounds. We actually gave Justin third of the company. He became an equal equity partner, but that was in exchange for joining us at the time and what we were earning out of the company, which was like still next to nothing. So even though we were four or five years into this business for us, our royalty stream was relatively small. We were still bootstrapping everything. And so in some ways it probably, it may have represented as big of a risk for Justin who was leaving a good job to get some equity in a startup that had no guarantees as it was for us where we kind of felt like this is an opportunity yeah what are we, we're giving away a third of something that's not worth that much we think there's great upside here but we, we get to inherit somebody who has much more experience than we do and and I'd say we, we did it again five years later we looked even beyond the three of us you know and we, we had to bring in some professional management and some subject matter experts really as we started to become a national brand and we needed somebody who knew how to manage a national brand. Technology is is certainly not in our wheelhouse. And so we've had to bring in experts along the way in a number of areas. But but those early years, Jeremy and I were good at running the business, the, the, the initial concept. And so most things operational, training people, you know, empowering others, teaching them the sales process. We all were able to do most of those things. And our business is not overly complicated. And so Ju- Justin was able to do most of the things. So we kind of like, hey, where, where, where do your strengths seem to lie? What are you interested in doing? And we just kind of divided and conquered. And I think as teammates, as Jeremy mentioned, and, and also I'd say guys who are generally for each other and for each other's families, like we had a probably deep rooted desire for this to work for everybody, not just individualistically. I think that has led us to exercise humility when needed and concede or, or defer when needed. And, and I don't say that from like, hey, we are weak, but I felt like at times that has helped us make decisions that are always best for soccer shots, even if they may not be best for one of us individually. So there's been some natural kind of just filtering into where we feel like we fit best and what we want to be doing. And, and really that has, that's what's led to us needing more help, which I mentioned before. So we've done that too. We've, we've hired over the years, multiple VP level, C level folks that have joined our organization and helped bring us to even higher levels that we wouldn't have been able to do on our own. This is no small business in no small industry. Your website boasts 30 million children in the U.S. aged 2 to 8 years old, 7 billion spent annually in youth sports, and that the USA is the number one country in the world for participation in youth soccer. And then you also boast financial opportunities of $3 million plus thousand dollars in yearly revenue from system-wide top earner, 
248000 plus a year in revenue from your top first-year owners. So this is a serious business, and I take my hat off to you for treating it as such and making certain that you did have the right people in the right chairs to assure that you're putting the word sustainable in front of the word growth. So we want to talk about the franchise side of the business and who it is that you recruit, who it is that you look for, and what does somebody have to bring? What's a must-have that they've got to bring to the table? Stan, yeah, great question. You know, it's interesting being in in our business because we're a service-based business. So when you think of a a McDonald's or a Chick-fil-A or or somebody that has a footprint somewhere and you think, hey, I can join McDonald's or join Chick-fil-A and going to build a building, put a sign up, and naturally customers are going to come to me. You know, Soccer Shots doesn't work that way. Soccer Shots, our model has always been kind of taking our product to places. And so there has to be an ability for a franchise partner to pretty quickly be willing to go knock on doors and ask for the opportunity to offer Soccer Shots at a child care center or a preschool. So when you talk about what what is needed, it's, I'm sure every franchise concept talks about this all the time of what, what makes a great franchise owner in their system. There's no doubt that within Soccer Shots, the one skill set that I think all of our top owners have is, sounds overly simplistic, but I definitely say they have hustle and they're determined because I think when you're in a service-based business that isn't using advertising, traditional advertising as their primary means of getting business, but really the primary means of getting business is going and knocking on doors. There's a, there is a sales component to it that if you're in sales, you know, you're getting no's more often than you're getting yeses. So somebody that's tenacious enough to kind of keep after it. Without that quality, I'd say people have not been successful in our business. Now, go along and you start saying, well, as those businesses mature, what does somebody need? Well, those owners, just like Jason and I have had, have had to mature on the business side and understand what it means to lead teams and all of that. But I think without kind of that component of hustle and determination, yeah, that's probably the starting point for me. I don't know what Jason. Well, Stan, I'm going to add to that and tell you a little story because hustle is a great word. One of the kind of legacy franchisees in our system, it's a guy named Eddie Russ. He joined us probably in that five-year window where we were emerging and before Justin came on board. I give all the early folks much credit for taking a chance on soccer shots and on us, but Eddie seemed to be the first one to really kind of bust out of the scene. He's super smart and and driven. He's great with people. People want to work for him, and so he's just got a lot of things going for him, and we taught him how to sell the program. He's in Texas, by the way, and after, uh, after coming home from our trip to Texas three days later, he calls and he said, hey, I went out selling again and I got 10 more childcare centers to sign up. And we're like, awesome. That's great. You probably might want to hire some coaches, do some coach recruitment. So two days later, he's like, yeah, I've been, been working for 10 hours a day. You know, I've got, I've got a pipeline of coaches. It's going well. Okay, that's awesome. You're going to be all set. A week later, he calls. He's like, yeah, I've been selling again. I got 15 more childcare centers. And before I knew it, he was up like he hadn't even started his first season ever. We had taught him basic concepts of how this works. And he had, I think, 40 childcare centers ready to go and six or eight coaches on his staff hired. And I remember, you know, a month before his season started, he's calling me and Jeremy and saying, you know, should, should I keep selling? And we were like, this is uncharted territory. Like it's nobody's ever launched a program with 40 partners like that. And Eddie just continued to kind of break every record that existed in, in that era. And he still remains at the very top, near the very top of our system in terms of overall performance. He's just a guy that epitomized hustle and ambition and drive. 
he, he's an example of a franchise partner that forced Jeremy and I into continuing to think seriously about how we needed to support this system. And I think when you're a franchisor and you and people kind of take a chance on you and sign up to be a Soccer Shots franchisee and give you money just for the opportunity to do it, you feel a certain degree of responsibility to make good on that commitment. And and so that that's therein lies the partnership. They they've signed up to to do something and to perform well. And we as a franchisor have always intended to reciprocate and and provide the best support we reasonably can and to continue to bring talent onto our team that exceeds expectations of our franchise community. And it's it's resulted in in kind of the tide rising, you know, now Eddie's a guy who, you know, he was kind of the target for years. Uh, everybody wanted to do what Eddie did. And, and really it allowed us to say, this is what you can do. You can do this in this business. And you can't just, it's not a made up number. Eddie is serving 25,000 kids a year, whatever his number is. And you can do that too. And so it's, it's really allowed our system to, to elevate. Two assumptions that I'm making, and you can either tell me I'm right or wrong. One of them is that you really don't have a cost involved in your business until you've got registrations accommodated, right? You don't need those coaches. You're not paying for labor until you know you've got registrations or you've got families signed up. And the second one, I wonder if it, a day in the life would be something you'd share as to what a franchisee does versus what a coach does. And one wondered what you'd say politely to a coach that wants to be a franchisee, but I'm guessing that what you're looking for in a franchisee and in a coach might just be a little bit different. Yes, Dan, that's, that's a great, great question. And certainly when you, when you talk about the uh, expense side, I mentioned a few minutes ago that we're a service-based business and maybe the negative of that is that you don't have a storefront where you can flick the lights on and so you kind of got to go hunt once you want to eat, which not everyone's wired enough to kind of have that hustle. The good news too, though, is what you pointed out, which is like your overall overhead out gate is very low. Most of our franchise partners don't get an office right away because it's just them. So their office comes after they've grown for a while. And so when you talk about overhead, it's like, well, there's not a whole lot there. You need some equipment. You're going to have to anticipate how many equipment sets and how many coaches you're going to hire that first season. But you're actually going to collect most of the revenue you need to execute the upcoming season prior to that season starting because parents are going to register and pay you on the front end. So you're going to get this cash in your bank. And yeah, you're not going to start paying it out to those coaches that have actually run a session. And so from a cash flow perspective, it's definitely nice. Certainly there's some nuances to that. But by and large, you're always collecting your revenue before the season starts or most of it. And yeah, until those coaches actually execute the seasons, you're not paying it out. And so I think that has always been nice. Again, there's relatively low overhead. Even the offices people have are relatively small and they don't need to be in prime prime locations. And so that's always been, I think, nice about our model from a financial perspective. It doesn't require someone to have a million dollars in the bank to get started. I think we've always been on the, the low cost franchise 500 list for less than 50 grand. You can get yourself up and running. And I think that's pretty. So that's great. Yeah. Your other question about the difference between a day in the life of a coach to a business operator. Yes, certainly there's a difference. I think our operators, especially now when you talk about about what we're hoping for a franchise partner, which is them, for them to ramp up business as fast as possible so they can gain market share and they can really start generating enough cash to live on. We encourage them to always coach out of the gate so they understand the program. But by and large, what they need to be doing is they need to be hiring people. They owners in their own territories doing it and thought, I could do that. I think our owners have been happy to share with them what that means. You know, we've had a lot of those coaches who have gone on and been very successful. Currently, our largest owner in our system is out of Houston, Texas, but he actually coached in Charlotte here for two or three years for soccer shots. Was like, ah, I'd love to own a franchise. He had lots of conversations with him. He moved to Houston where he grew up and now he's got the largest franchise in the system. So pretty cool to see. And the skill sets are different, but we definitely have had lots of coaches who have been able to make that transition. Let's spend a minute 
minute or two before we run out of time talking about your franchise opportunity and how you go about selection, especially in a business like yours that is dealing with children and dealing with families. What do you do in your process to really try to flesh out and separate the wheat from the chaff in terms of giving this brand to the right operator? Sure. Uh, I'll take a stab at that. I mean, there's a, there's a number of things that the franchise development team here does and is doing well, and I would even say continues to try, thus prompting evolution. So I think how people find out about this opportunity has changed significantly from when Jeremy and I were, were leading franchise development 10 years ago. But one, one of the things that stands out to me that I think we or, or Soccer Shots does well is, is something, there's actually one happening today uh, called a Discovery Day. We do a discovery day, I'd say, very late in the process. So we kind of let the commitment escalate maybe mutually through a a series of uh, kind of target points in the process, you could say. So by the time a discovery day happens, prospective franchisee has, has called other franchisees, has course completed application submitted that has had multiple conversations at least with one of the recruiters on our friend dev team but the discovery day we, we have a nice new building that we built a couple of years ago so we have a kind of an impressive home that shows well folks must come here for discovery day prior to being awarded a franchise and so it's actually kind of the final interview i suppose where they're presenting to our team leadership team included folks from leadership team sitting on that and kind of making a case for why they'd be great operators in their desired city. And I think they're interviewing us, right? And so even though we call it recruitment and an award, they certainly want to know what they're getting into. And so no, no smoke and mirrors. I mean, it, we have to be really transparent about what's hard in our business. The fact that, yeah, it, it may be on the lower cost side, but it doesn't always ramp up fast, takes hustle, as Jeremy said, and some patience. And so just want to be transparent, like know, know what you're getting into, eyes wide open. And so through, I think through those processes, you get to know people, you have some meals together, maybe start to identify where on the, on the list of core values they fit really well. If you need to ask clarifying questions if there's any areas where you're unsure. And then what about the opportunity itself? Are you awarding single unit only? Do you have any kinds of multi-unit or area development type packages or do you shy away from those? Yeah, I'd say generally we have historically liked the model of selling one territory, which is comprised of about 500,000 people and letting an operator prove themselves and hit certain metrics in order to be awarded another one. There have been times where we've sold two pack out of the gate. Those maybe have been people that have owned other businesses and proven other areas of their life they've been able to manage a bigger territory or even they're they're willing to hire somebody else out of the gate full-time with them so they're going to say hey not only will i be working in this business full-time but i'm going to hire a full-time director so now there's two of us because we've realized that if it's just one owner coming plenty of opportunity in their first territory and it's important for them to get a strong foothold and really saturate that first market before they move on just you know so if competition comes in they've kind of already established you know uh, an op- a strong foothold that would discourage anyone else from wanting to kind of compete for that business. So to answer your question, primarily single territories, every once in a while we, we've made an exception, but it doesn't happen very often. And franchise brokerage has become such a prevalent part of franchise development for many brands on the grow. What's your take on brokerage community and what do you advise to an emerging franchisor in terms of getting involved with franchise mm-hmm. brokers? I think my advice would be try it because it might work 
for your brand, just candidly for us, we, we did try it and, and I maybe put some of it on us. We just didn't happen to have success with it. So we're not currently working with brokers for, for FranDev. I think part of it is we are on the lower cost side of things. And so maybe the incentive for the broker is lower than what could be normal for them. And so, yeah, I say it's, it's a could be and, and maybe worth trying. Hasn't worked for us. Well, that makes sense. It's a good answer. We're at the place where I stop and ask you guys, is there anything that you wish that I would have asked and didn't? No, you know, Stan, this is Jeremy. Nothing pops to my mind, but I would say for any emerging brand, you know, I think Jason and I are always happy to talk to anybody else that's in the franchise world and share our stories. You can imagine where you kind of look back and you're like, oh, it's awesome to see where we've, where we've come. And we're certainly proud of the team we've built and really thankful for our franchise partners. And Jason mentioned they have pushed us to be great and pursue excellence, which has been good. But you know, it has definitely not been a straight line. Certainly learned plenty of lessons along the way of, you know, if we were to do it over again, we could have handled these situations differently or, or done something better. And so maybe my one encouragement is like, this is not a specific to franchising, but I think you own a business and you realize that, yeah, it, it is not always a straight line forward and, you know, ability to kind of, yeah, maybe be humble, listen, learn from the mistakes you've made, listen to your franchise system, or even from other people that have been further along than you in the journey is invaluable. And, and even recently, you know, in the last two years, we've, we have formed an advisory board for the ownership team, just people that have either been in franchising or have owned businesses that are much further along than us that we kind of get to meet with quarterly and pick their brains and, you know, try to soak in knowledge. So maybe in there somewhere is, you know, a reminder that, yeah, the journey, the journey's not always straight and easy. And I think the more you can learn from other people that have been there, done that, shortens the learning curve, but it's certainly beneficial. Jason, anything to add? Well, sometimes I think about uh, when, you, when I hear again, even as we tell it, the story of how we just kind of stumbled into franchising, um, literally backed into it. I, I wonder if we were, did we get darn lucky or were we in proper position to start franchising? And of course, given what I know now, I think to myself, holy cow, how did we make it? I also recognize that that's just part of our journey. For, for us, we didn't know what we didn't know, and yet we had enough gumption to, to go for it. And maybe we're humble enough or willing to learn enough to make it work. I guess as it relates to you know anybody who's listening who would like to get into franchising and doesn't know if they're ready to, I don't know that you're ever ready. Probably speaks to where we're at today. We, even though you've described us as having reached it and having such great success, I think if, if Jeremy and I were just sitting around, we would talk about all the challenges we still face and how much you know we've learned even last year. And so it's, it's Jer mentioned, it's a journey. The, the, the destination is actually the journey. That's what's been so great. Mm -hmm. So part of me thinks that the sooner you, you jump in, I, my, my caution would be though, um, I, I do think even though our original local businesses were not buttoned up and refined. We had something that we knew was working. Now, they weren't doing $3 million, which is what our current top earners are doing, but they might've been doing a couple hundred thousand dollars. And for young guys who were kind of doing something for the first time out of college, they were profitable, they worked, they were growing. And so I just wouldn't underscore the importance of, you'll never fully refine it, but the importance in our case of like having a business model that actually worked. And so we can pat ourselves on the back for how we've been a good franchisor, but the bigger part of it is like these franchises, this business works for our franchisees. They are growing. There's demand for it in the marketplace. It can be done just about anywhere, you know, in North America and they're profitable. So if that is true, you, you set yourself up, give yourself much greater chance of being successful as a franchisor. So it's probably the part I would, I would lean into most and say, Hey, do we have a concept that's scalable, can be replicated by a lot of other people can be done anywhere is 
profitable, all of those things. And I think we had that. I don't think we knew maybe how great it was. It sure has turned out great for so many franchisees in our system, which is so rewarding. We knew we had something. So It's a great story, and I can't thank you guys enough for coming here to Franchise Today and share it with my audience. I wonder if you'd be good enough to leave some contact information here so that somebody who may want to dive in a little deeper can find one or both of you to talk more. Sure. This is Jeremy Serzano. Stan, you know, folks can email me. My email address is pretty easy. It's just jeremy at soccershots.org. I also have a LinkedIn account that's just Jeremy Serzano, but email works best for me. So welcome to do that. Jason? I am jason at soccershots.org. Be happy to interact with anybody who wants to chat. Can't thank you enough again for being kind enough to share and wishing you all the best for a great 2020 and beyond. Now, Stan, you're, Thanks, Stan. you're welcome, and it's, it's always fun to tell the story, so appreciate the opportunity. Best of luck to you as well. Well, there you have it. Two great guys, one great concept. And more to come next week when my guest will be Honey Baked Ham's Vice President of Franchising, Horace Williams. Horace's core competencies include turnarounds and transformational growth in both startup and high-growth companies. Companies as a collaborative strategist with both PL and budgetary responsibility. Horace Williams, next week on Franchise Today. Remember, you can subscribe to Franchise Today at Block Talk Radio and that you can download us from iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, and virtually any place that podcasts are found. Please remember, too, that you can ask Alexa to play the latest episode of Franchise Today. Like us on Facebook, and remember, I'd love to hear from you with recommendations for guest interviews as well as any thoughts or comments you'd like to share about the podcast. All of my contact info is easily found on my LinkedIn profile. So until next week, I'm Stan Friedman wishing you the best, the very best of all things franchising. And Franchise Today is out. Franchise Today is a production of FRM Solutions, providing best-in-class CRM tools to empower relationships with prospective and existing franchisees. No excuses, just solutions. Find them online at frmsolutions.com. Join Stan every Wednesday at noon Eastern for another live episode of Franchise Today. Or, as always, download episodes on demand at blogtalkradio.com or iTunes. 